2: Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
3: Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program on this Valentine's Day edition of the show. We turn our attention to a uh, new book written by a clinically trained and licensed marriage and family therapist and best-selling author. The new book is... uh, called let me see let me get the full title here it is the practice of love break old patterns rebuild trust and create a connection that lasts by lair torrent who joins me by phone hi lair welcome to the show hey tom thanks for having me um let me uh, is it Do you feel like you're swimming upstream sometimes trying to talk about love in a world that seems so divided lately by hate? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad you (laughs) mentioned that. It's a weird way to start into this, Lair. I
0: think it's a great way to start. It's a great question, and it's true. Uh, I think often when I'm trying to sell this, uh, whether it be to couples or to individuals who feel they've been wrong somewhere in their past. Uh, finding love and not revenge is often antithetical to the human brain, and certainly, I think, to our Western brains, for sure. The idea of turning to love uh, as opposed to something else um, feels like surrender, perhaps, and you know we don't do that well, us Americans. Uh, we don't give up. Uh, it's in our blood. It's in our DNA. It's in the small fibers of our existence um, to not give up. And that's a great thing uh, to a degree. But um, when we start sort of attributing that to, well, if, if, I, if I turn toward love um, and not something else, well, that feels like a weakness. That feels like a vulnerability.
3: You know, I've talked to a number of people that are... Um, Faith-based in their approach to writing and talking about love from several different um, disciplines, different religions and and faiths, um, and and love seems to be the common denominator in all mm-hmm. of those. Um, do you need to have a relationship with a higher power to find love?
0: Look, I think. When I, when I talk about spirituality and I talk about the spiritual nature of relationships in my book, um, but I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, a guy in the clouds with a white beard. If that's your thing, great, do that. But for me, and I, I'm speaking for me, I, I think to find greater meaning, um, to find – when we find something uh, that, that's spiritual – in most things, it's an organizing power, right? It, it gives us meaning. We can assign meaning to so many things, and that helps us transcend those things. Um, so I do think that uh, finding a higher power, uh, finding a, the spiritual nature in anything, even if it's just sitting on a beach or going for a walk or playing with your kids, um, it, it, it affords us to go to a place that feels deeper to me. And, and again, I, I talk at length about that in the book.
3: This is going to be I, I'm not even sure how I want to set this question up. It's going to be a little bit odd, but I, you know, I read statistically all the time that that 50% of uh uh marriages end in divorce and um mm-hmm. and of course, you know, the punchline is 100% of divorces started with marriage. But um <laughs> honestly, but, <laughs> strangely enough, I had not heard that one. That's right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but being someone who counsels people in marriages, mm-hmm. does if everybody has a 50-50 shot at, at um, surviving divorce and, and having a lifelong partner, mm-hmm. does that percentage go up with counseling?
0: I don't know that it does. I mean obviously I'm a person who probably should say yes, yeah,
3: I'm sure. Well uh, I'm, I'm I'm just know. curious you know what I, I what your experience is 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 it inevitable that that marriages are not going to last forever or at least half of them won't take is in my case.
0: Well I don't think we're trained for this. This is m- marriage and and uh, relationship across a lifespan perhaps or um, you know that stretches out a long time. We're not taught how to do that. And I don't think it's innate within us to understand how to do that, to relate to another person at depth like that. It falls into the bin of things we should just know how to do, right? Like we were supposed to know how to buy a car, how to get a mortgage, how to file our taxes. But no one teaches us any of that in high school to my understanding, I know I wasn't taught that. There was no coursework in college on those life skills. And marriage is certainly included in that. Now, to your first question, do I think It goes up. I think the earlier a couple gets into therapy, like before problematic uh, habits and ways of thinking concretize, I think those couples absolutely survive longer and just ultimately do better because they have skills under their belt that are built before I'm trying to to eradicate scar tissue that's there. Now, having said all that, it's not really counseling per se that I feel, um, this is just my experience, uh, is the thing that, that, that necessarily puts a couple over the edge, over the uh, tipping point of making it. Um, it's that will to want to. It's the and I say this in my practice. I say this is all the taglines and everything that I talk about. You got to want to, and you got to want it bad. You got to want it bad with the person that you're sleeping next to, and you got to want it more than you want to be right, more than you want to win. Right. That tends to be the tail of the tape for me.
3: I had a friend that asked me once, and, and I wrestle with this question all the time in my head, do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: uh, sometimes people are, you're absolutely, and I say this to people all the time, and I'm loath to come up with an, a, a concrete example in this moment, but I'll say to people all the time, you're right, you're absolutely right, but in this particular moment, that's not exactly helpful, right? Because very often being right means that your feelings in this moment don't count and often feelings um are not always rational right like we can sit there and argue factually this is where i my my cops and my lawyers when i tell them i'm sorry but the facts are immaterial in this particular moment what is absolutely material is your partner's feelings and we should triage those first um so being right isn't always the uh you know the golden ticket
3: well i Having not been right very often, I wouldn't really know <laughs> um, but but all kidding aside, um, there are so many things that we take as truisms and I thought maybe we'd explore a few of them and see you know if if they hold up. Um, one that comes to mind is opposites attract.
0: Um, I don't find that to be. Uh, I, I th- well, I think I think that the the beginning of the root of that is it goes back to an old Harville Hendrix quote. Um, for those who are unaware, Harville Hendrix is one of the forefathers of couples therapy. He gave us a lot of really amazing practices and great books. Um, uh, in the realm of couples therapy, he said that we are inexplicably drawn into the rom- arms of a romantic partner who will, by their very nature, recapitulate our childhood wounding, but for a very good reason, so that we can have a healing experience. Um, I butchered that quote, but that's pretty much what he said. Um, and I think that's kind of the flavor or the color palette of that statement that opposites attract. It can often feel that way, um, that there's this opposing essence or energy within you that that um, somehow we're drawn. How did this happen? Um, there, yeah, we're attracted to that sort of opposite energy for a very good reason. Unconsciously, we want to have a healing experience in that. And that's my sense of that. We, we in the colloquialism, the cliche will say opposites attract just for shorthand. That's how that feels. But that tends to be where people stop, right? And that's why I have a job, is that people will come together and they will recapitulate their childhood wounding together. And they'll call me, perhaps, or someone like me and try to work that out but they don't dive beneath those, those surface issues and get to the real crux of it, which is you have two people who, two wounded people inside of us asking some very important questions. You're asking your partner unconsciously, whether you know it or not, whether you're arguing about what time you came home, what to have to, for, for dinner, or what to do with the kids. You're saying, tell me that I'm safe, tell me that I'm loved, tell me that I'm enough, and tell me that I matter. And those are the four key pieces That we're looking for in a relationship
3: and i thought it was sex
0: (laughs) well look, sex (laughs) makes us feel something right besides just the just the the how good sex can feel two bodies coming together like that of course that feels good but there's also something more there when someone says that that i want to do that very very vulnerable very very intimate thing with you it is saying, in essence, and we all take our own message from that depending on our wounding, that you are loved, that, 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 that you're safe enough to do this with, that you're enough that I would do this thing with you, that you matter enough to me that I would do this very vulnerable, intimate thing with you. So sex, you know, sex has a lot, goes a lot deeper than just people coming together physically.
3: What's at the heart of of this notion that that people are attracted to people who look like them, and I don't mean actually look like them, but maybe have the same hair color, same eye color, that sort of thing?
0: Well, I, I mean, I think that um, that probably has something to do with we covet I guess what we see. Um, and you know I, I I can tell you i could I, I don't ever divulge this, but I have clients and and friends who are my, or I'll notice someone like your spouse looks remarkably like your mom and I'm not trying to make this edible in its way, but <laughs> before, you know, but how it, do you it's not like,
3: Blair? Yeah.
0: It, right. <laughs> and so they look like, they look like, yeah, they look a little like you, um, but you look more like these people within your family. And I think, it's, you know, maybe perhaps we, we covet what we've seen and that we find that sort of, not that we find our, you know, I'm not, again, not trying to make it weird. I'm just saying that that's, we see that and that that's attractive to us for, some deeper reason
3: well and and that um that ties very closely to this uh, notion that women are looking for their fathers
0: sure well and i think that goes back to childhood wounding so if i have someone who comes in and it's not just it's not just women looking for their fathers i see it across the board uh, you know painting with broad with gender strokes it's that's the cliched one right The the woman who's who's looking for her father well very often. Well,
3: it, it's just it's just as true. It's off. I mean, it's said just as often that mm-hmm. uh, boys are looking for their moms. Sure.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but I think very often there's something incomplete. I mean, pr- that's primarily why we don't stay within the f- the family um, uh, under the family roof, typically, or you know, within that family system. We have to go out and individuate, and we go out whether we. Uh, you know, we can have the perfect parenting at some level. You're going to get something that you're going to need to go out and f- go out into the world and figure out. And so if you have a young woman who, is, who was rejected by her father emotionally, you know, perhaps that person will go out and look for people in her life that are rejecting emotionally. Um, again, that's that for that. What I said earlier about what Harville Hendricks said, we're seeking that to have a reparative experience
3: this is this is fascinating um Lair, i have to take a uh a short break here can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some of course good yeah my guest is uh Lair torrent the name of the book is uh the practice of love break old patterns rebuild trust and create a connection that lasts and we'll pick the book apart a little bit more with Lair um when we come back and um we're going to uh, let our broadcast partners uh, squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOVLP, Our Voices Radio, 92.1. FM in Flint, a broadcast service of the Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. If you're streaming us at uh, TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then lots more. The Tom Sumner program is uh, coming up straight ahead in the third half of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk with um, a Cardiothoracic surgeon from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. February, besides uh, being home to Valentine's Day, is also American Heart Month. And uh, he's um, Dr. Chen, Jonathan Chen, MD, um, is going to talk about innovations in cardiac care that can save and improve the lives of children with heart disease that's coming up uh, in just a little bit but we we'll take a short break and we'll be right back a brand new dance now.
0: hi this is mark farner and you're listening to the tom sumner program
1: Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show.
3: Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about a uh, new book called The Practice of Love by uh, clinically trained and, and uh, licensed marriage and family therapist and author, Lair Torrent, who joins me by phone. Lair, uh, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that.
0: That's okay. Got a little coffee while I waited.
3: There you go, um, Lair. Let's pick apart the the title of, of your book a little bit. It's um, let me. I've got it right in front of me here. The practice of love break old patterns, rebuild trust, and create a connection that lasts. Let's talk mm-hmm. about old patterns for just a moment. When when people seek you out or or ask your you advice, is it because they 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 want to change their patterns? Um, they think their patterns aren't working? Or, um, or are they trying to figure out why their old patterns aren't working?
0: I think probably why their patterns aren't working. But, you know, there's always the top of the mind. Um, you know, if you Google search top ten reasons couples seek therapy or get a divorce or what have you, it's not necessarily break old patterns um, it's usually something like poor communication lackluster sex lives can't agree on anything
3: well um, it's you know i've i've heard it said so many times people want a change not to change
0: <laughs> right it would be nice if you would do that um, but <laughs> but but i think that at the end of the day yeah they 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 recognize that there are some patterns here they've probably seen these patterns in old relationships. I know that I did. Um, you know, when I met my now wife, uh, we've been together for 20 years, married for 11 or 12 now. Um, she, you know, I, I knew that she was a keeper and that there were some old patterns um, that I was certain to, to bring with me from my old relationships, the many you know, failed relationships I had had in the past with some lovely people. Um, but couldn't make it work because of things that I was doing.
3: The the, the next line in the subtitle of the book, Lair, is um, mm-hmm. rebuild trust. That's right. That seems so tough to do because trust is in such short supply these days. People don't trust government officials or science mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Um, authority. You know, mm-hmm. it just seems like Boy, that's a, that's a tough one.
0: It is, and when we blow it out to the macro, it becomes really difficult because I think what you've seen by and large um, uh, by government agencies and corporations on that level is a lack of responsibility. Um, somewhere along the line, I think the legal department of every corporation has probably told them, don't own anything. it's it, It'll get you sued. Um, you know, there was... A, 32nd President of the United States, Harry S. Truman, had a placard on his desk that said, the buck stops here. If you have a problem with anything that goes on in this administration, look no further than me. That type of ideology, that type of personal responsibility is gone. And it's just a bunch of, it's sword fight with fingers and everyone pointing at the other one saying, not me, it's him or it's her. What would happen if someone said, no, no, it's me. I did that immediately the space between us whether we're talking about the macro or the micro relationship we're talking about two people who are in love or we're talking about you know the as you said before these governments and all that sort of thing no one's taking responsibility no one's owning their stuff and that's where trust goes out the window trust starts to get rebuilt when your partner says hey you know you hurt my feelings last night when you said that thing in front of our friends and rather than argue the point that that's not what I meant. That's not what I said. That's not how I said it. We say, I did that. I can see it on your face and I'm sorry. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I tried to make a joke and it and it just fell wrong and I was embarrassed. All of that begins, begins the path of rebuilding trust and we can own our stuff, but we don't want to do that because blame feels like shame. And as you were sort of pointing out, it's, it's at the highest levels that, um, Example is not being set. If you own something, if you take responsibility for it, you're probably gonna be in trouble. And so I don't necessarily put it on the front of my website because people won't come. That personal responsibility is gonna be a big part of the process with me, but what I try to sell everybody is personal responsibility is not giving up ground. It's taking the higher ground, it's taking the road less traveled, and immediately the space between you and your partner gets to be a safer one when your partner looks over and says, Oh, that guy's going to own his stuff. And when we make this part of the ethos, part of the culture of our relationship, well, trust is not hard to build back up because I know you got me. I know you've got my back. I know you're looking out for me. I know you pick me sometimes over yourself. And that's a powerful thing.
3: When you refer to mindfulness, what do you mean by that?
0: Paying attention to your thoughts and feelings on
3: purpose. Is it that easy? And no, no, no. <laughs> it's not. It sounds. It sounds <laughs> it's easy. Lear. It's
0: simple. It's not easy, right? Because of the brain's default mode network. Because of our the way our brain is configured and has grown over the many, 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 many years and developed, we sort very, very simplistically. And we do that for safety, right? We are taking in 400 billion bits of information uh, per second or something ridiculous like that through all the various ports within our body. And the brain has to go safe, danger. This goes over here, that goes over there. And so we automate and we want to be able to do that. So our brain goes on autopilot very, very quickly, especially if something isn't, isn't um, new. And this is why we can go, we drive to work, and I have people do this. So I'll say, today when you drive to work, I want you to do it mindfully. I want you to begin to notice all the different things that you pass by. Notice things that you, you haven't seen before, if you can. And very, without a doubt, everyone says the same thing. They're like, oh, my goodness. I didn't know there was a cleaner on that corner. That's really convenient. I'm going to try that new restaurant. I didn't know they opened over there. That's interesting to me. This is a whole new world. And because mindfulness asks us to turn off the, the brain's default mode network and to begin to pay attention pay attention to your thoughts and to your feelings and don't be on autopilot now. It's a simple practice. It's just difficult to remember to do.
3: And what about the concept of actively choosing our partners?
0: So actively choosing our partners.
3: Yeah. So, well, look, I can have
0: all the loving thoughts and feelings about my partner I want, but if I don't have a conveyance for those, they just live inside of me. And so I had a guy in, in office, and, and, uh, and finally I was getting a little, I kind of couldn't figure out what was going on. I finally turned to the guy and I said, Do you love your wife? And he looked at me as though I were daft. And he said, Well, of course. I said, Well, how would she know that? And he said, Well, because I have all the you know, loving thoughts and feelings. And I said, Well, that's really good for you, isn't it? But how is she to know any of that unless you make your love active and you pick her over other things like yourself or a football game or work sometimes? we need to know that our our partners are thinking about us often when we're not there
3: right we see what's interesting that. about about that layer is um, and, and i admit that that wasn't what i was thinking at all you, you know i was thinking of you know with it being valentine's day you know how do you how do you find someone you're gonna fall in love with uh, you know it not Not something that was ongoing, but like a one-time transaction.
0: Yeah, and we see that in a lot of movies and books and things like that. And we see these people who, who, you know, and I'm I'm being judgmental in this moment, but, you know, they put it on the, they're at the game and it goes on the Megatron. Will you marry me? And I've done a bunch of weddings for friends and clients. And I say the same thing. It's like, yeah, this is the big day. This is the big day when you say I pick you. And maybe it's Valentine's Day, maybe it's the birthday, I don't know. Maybe it's just those big days and you say, here's a box of chocolates. Well, okay. I have to wait till February 14th to hear that or see that. What about a coffee made just the way she likes it every day? What about, you know, that he loves the bed being made. So you make the bed. You weren't the last one out, but you you know, he likes it. And there are these little ways. Choosing our, actively choosing our partners is, There's a crying baby, and you know she's been up three times already tonight, and you say, sweetie, no, 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 I got it. You lay down. I I know how tired you are. So actively choosing our partners has to be in the mundane. It has to be in the everyday moments that say, I pick you. And so back to your trust question, too, we all have these things I call love banks attached to us, for lack of a cornier term. And we are keeping score, (laughs) Right. And so when our partners reach out and reach across and and say, I got you, I pick you, uh, I go from a me-centered way of thinking to a we-centered way of thinking, and I make that coffee just the way you like it, right? I, I, I lean over and give you a kiss and a hug before I look at my phone in the morning. It says, I pick you. And these are little coins in the bank. And at some arbitrary point, I don't know when that is, we reach this place of trust, just like in a bank. And that's when real intimacy and vulnerability can take place on every level, not just physical. Because I know you're there for me. I know you got me, and I can trust you. Because you've always been
3: there. That's, um, yeah, because at, at the end of the, you know, those those movies, those love stories, um, mm-hmm. you know, and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> Well, yeah, but how? <laughs> yeah, and how did that happen again? Yeah. When exactly. the life cycle
0: events started happening? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, and and another uh, another point um, is the idea that it's it's not all just one thing. That there are lots of parts of us that. Add to or take away from our romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. You're you're speaking about the the practice of the
0: of parts work that I talk about.
3: Practice, too. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, sure. And so when people call me and they say, "Hey, Lair, uh, we need we need to come in and see you. We're having communication problems. We're having a really hard time talking about X, Y, or Z. And can't can't talk about it." And I'll say, "You don't have communication problems," and they'll say, uh, "No." <laughs> I was there. We do. And I'll say you don't because you just communicated that to me just fine. You have a perfect command of the English language. Communication is not an issue for you. What you have is a parts itself problem. And this is where people kind of scratch their heads and say, what are you talking about? And I'll say, well, look, you there's a reason. You can see
3: that through the phone?
0: I do it every day.
3: Because <laughs> I'm here scratching my head. Later. Yeah,
0: totally. Yeah, yeah. I do it every day. And this is what the people are like, what are you talking about? But I'm intrigued. Tell me more. And, and so I'll say, look, you can go to work and talk to your boss or your client over a different thing, about a different thing, that's hard, and you you communicate just fine. There's no, back and forth, there's no difficult back and forth. Maybe it's a tough conversation, but you find your way there because you have to. Arguably, you show up at an aspect of yourself that can have that difficult conversation, a part of you that perhaps has empathy, compassion, and understanding. But because we don't have to, because we went and got a mortgage, and maybe we made a couple of people, and I know that you, I've got a few at-bats with you, I don't have to show up in the part of myself uh, or be, be, be conscious or mindful of the part of me that shows up. And so we show up in a, in, in a protective part of self, right? When we feel like our partners have been chewing on us a little bit, or we don't get along very well, or, or, or old wounding has come up, right? Because like, our, our, the people we love the most are often the most dangerous in the world, right? They push on our old wounding. And so there's a protective part that shows up, an aspect of ourselves that is a a fighter, a fleer, a freezer, or or an inner critic aspect of ourselves. And these are, what I'm talking about, are actually compartments of the brain, right? And when we show up in one of those compartments, we don't have access to other parts of our brain that do hold things like compassion, empathy, understanding, all of that. And so when I talk to people about communication, I'll say, look, there's a part of you that's showing up that can't have this conversation because it's trying to win. It's trying to protect you from vulnerability, and that's normal and that's natural. But we have to ask that part to to step aside, and we have to show up in a part of us that is wise, that is compassionate and empathetic, that is loving and wants connection, that's not fighting to be right, that understands that this is a zero-sum game that we're playing here.
3: Well, this is, this is fascinating. The book is called The um, Practice of Love. Uh, let me get the, the rest of it here. <laughs> I'm, I've got my notes in one hand. And
0: it always takes over. me a minute, too, Tom. Don't feel bad. It's my book, and I sometimes have to remember what it is.
3: But it's The Practice of Love, Break Old Patterns, Rebuild Trust, and Create a Connection That Lasts. And, and the connection that lasts is the part that, um. That it seems like it. It it should be obvious, but maybe it isn't. How do you mean? Well, it 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 seems like um. It, it, if there's a formula, mm-hmm. we get fatigue.
0: Well, look, we practice. This is why I call it the practice of love, which people are like, wait, yeah. why do we have to practice love? Yeah. No, you do. You practice things that you want to be good at. Now, I don't know what you do for a hobby or what are the things that you like to be, to be good at, but if you want to hit a good backhand in tennis, you practice, right? If you want to hit a great drive or a
3: putt, I have you to, go and you practice. Because you said that, I have to tell you a, a very funny story. There, there's um, I have to share this with you Lair. Yeah. There's a, an old joke about, you know, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Mm-hmm. The guy gets in a cab, says, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Cab driver says, practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah, if you want it. Yep. So I have one of the great clarinetists mm-hmm. of all time, Richard Stoltzman, mm-hmm. on the show. Mm-hmm. He's like mm-hmm. the Yo-Yo Ma of clarinet. Right. And he happened to be the first clarinetist to do a solo concert at carnegie hall which set mm-hmm. me up uh, to set him up for the joke so sure. i said how do you get to carnegie hall and he says well i start on the a train and then i pick yeah. up a cab at this station and and he starts telling me the actual directions to get there yeah. instead of picking up. out yeah and, and using the <laughs> joke and uh any, Anyway, whenever somebody says anything about practice, I, I think yeah. of Richard Stoltzman and taking that question so literally.
0: Well, this is a, you know, a literal practice, and I give you five practices of mindfulness, looking at the parts of you that show up. We didn't talk about narrative, but narrative is in there. The stories that we tell ourselves about our partners can atrophy very, very quickly and lose their compassion and their loving-kindness choosing we talked a little about, and I talked about personal responsibility. So we don't have to practice all of them, but if you practice one or two of them in concert, maybe three, all of a sudden your practice gets a little bit better and we should want to do that. But again, love falls into that bin of things we just feel we should know how to do. And then we'll say things like, Oh, well, obviously, you know, we weren't meant to be. Well, very often your meant to be-ness is just you're willing to dig in and do the hard work. Now, Most people aren't telling you, know they don't, well, what is the hard work? These things. Being more aware of yourself. Looking at the part of you that shows up so you're not in a weapons-hot warrior self. Looking at the story that you're telling. And and, and am I actively choosing my partner? Am I taking responsibility for all those first four things? When we start doing that, then the practice gets really good really quick.
3: You know, that's interesting that you bring up that, you know, we're not meant to be is there such a thing as a, a meant to be or is it uh, there's an attraction there and then we try to build on it and make it permanent
0: you know I've lived long enough to know that I don't have everybody's answer all of the time even though I'd love to tell you that I do um uh, I felt when I met my wife, and I talk about it in the book, the moment I saw my wife, I walked in, we were both working in a restaurant. She was interviewing for a job. That's what She was interviewing. I was working there. And I walked into the office in the middle of her interview. And I looked at her, and I was like, I said to myself, there you are. And so is there a meant-to-be-ness in that? Some would say, sure. And my experience in that moment was like a lightning bolt. And I always laugh and say, well, I'm not sure that she was having the same experience, but I certainly was.
3: Well, it's um, like the, the idea that we, we toy with about soulmates. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and your story is, is the classic love at first sight kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's probably
0: a little bit of lust and
3: limerence within that, right? There's a sure. sense, maybe
0: an intuitive sense that perhaps this person is I'm going to connect with this person energetically. Um, but all of that, all of that gets tarnished. Your meant to be-ness gets tarnished. If you don't practice well, if you let... Look, we strive for familiarity in relationships, right? We want to become familiar with this person because something inside of us feels safer when we know them and they know us and we get the boyfriend-girlfriend terms down and all of that. But familiarity also means that we start cutting corners. We start saying and doing things that we didn't say or do in the beginning of our relationship when we were trying to win that person's heart. We forget that that person's heart that we have is one that perhaps we don't want to lose. And so you can have all the meant-to-be-ness you want. But if you're not going to practice well with each other, if you're not going to bleed reverence, right, into your relationship, reverence, then I'm sorry, your meant-to-be-ness won't matter for long. Mine wouldn't have.
3: Well, this is... uh This is fascinating. I always joke that, you know, I was married for 21 years, but it took me two wives to do it. Um, (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, that's something that I I joke a lot about. Um, But a, a friend of mine who had been married multiple times once told me, you know, as I look back over it, there really wasn't anything wrong with any of them. Which I thought was kind of an interesting, uh, you know, recognition later in life.
0: Akin to mine. When I, you know, I had, I was sort of a serial monogamist throughout my 20s. And um, had, uh, you know, a, a number of really lovely people. I just wasn't right. I had found, you know, for lack of a more cliched term, myself enough to be a good partner. I think that's what your friend was sort of alluding to.
3: Yeah, I think they so, were too. they
0: were fine. Yeah. Right, but again, that that meant to be that 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 will atrophy uh, very very quickly if if we're not um, digging in and looking at ourselves very quickly those those old patterns they begin to erode the foundation of any relationship and pretty soon if that narrative that I talk about goes south for long enough and we're not called to be more mindful about that suddenly that's is that is that my sweetheart that left the milk out again for the second time this week that works so hard that's just tired? Or is it the no-account SOB that only thinks about themselves? <laughs> right? Very quickly, like, you, it's your choose-your-own-adventure to some degree. And if you double down on the no-account SOB, pretty soon that's not just what you did. That's who you are. And I had a, f- a friend of mine reach out and say, you know, my friend read your book and said wow, I don't hate my husband anymore. And, and it was because she really looked at herself. And that's what I'm asking people to do in this. It's like the old adage is that if in couples therapy, I, as a couples therapist, the, the individuals are not my, um, my client. The relationship's my client. I think that's a load of crap. It's two individuals, <laughs> right? That's right. not true. It's, it's if I can get each individual showing up in, the, in a better version of themselves, we're cooking with gas. Lair, that's what this book really aims at.
3: I can't believe how fast the time has gone, but I always try and let uh, guests squeeze in where people might find out more about you and your work. We've got about sure. 30 seconds. Do you have a uh, website that you'd like to share?
0: Sure. LairTorrent.com. Uh just my name, LairTorrent.com. And also Lair-Torrent, Holistic Therapist on Instagram. That's where I tend to do where I'm more active. I'm constantly sharing new videos, memes, and different things that I'm doing. So, Lair Torrent, holistic therapist on Instagram.
3: Well, Lair, good luck with the book, and uh, thanks so much for spending this time with me, and keep up the good work. Thanks. Good talking to you, Tom. Take care. Bye-bye. And with that, uh, my guest, of course, was uh, Lair Torrent. And we're going to take a short break. More of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Hello there, citizens.
5: Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out.
4: East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint.
0: This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and
3: you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
0: The Tom Summer Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, the Vickersons.
1: <laughs>
5: For once, the walls of the Bickerson's apartment do not resound with the persistent snoring of husband John. More's the pity. There can be only one reason for this astounding phenomenon. John Bickerson is not home. Two o'clock in the morning finds Mrs. Bickerson on the telephone with Sister Clara. Let's listen.
2: What did you say, Blanche? I said I haven't heard from John since he left for work. You'd think he'd telephone me or something. Well, maybe he tried to call. You've had the phone tied up for over an hour, Blanche. You've called me three times. He's never done this before. I think he wants to upset me. He gets so angry every time I spend a dollar. He says I'm the biggest spendthrift in California. Am I, Clara? I don't think so. Well, John does. And you know how careful I am about money. Yes, well, I have to give the baby his bottle. You do? What time is it there in New York? It's almost 5.30 in the morning. Georgie gets a bottle every two hours now. He's four weeks old. He isn't gaining much, though. Well, what does he weigh? 61 pounds. I don't like the doctor we have now. He thinks George is too heavy. Well, I think he's the cutest little thing I ever saw. Oh, did John's shoes fit him all right? Well, they pinch a little in the toes. Oh, but you can get them fixed. Oh, I think John's here. Goodbye, Clara. John!
5: I can't find the blasted light switch.
2: Oh, I'm so glad you're home, sweetheart. I'm in here. Huh? Never mind the lights. Come to bed, darling.
5: I must have the wrong apartment. Uh, Excuse me, madam.
2: John, come back here.
5: Oh, hello.
2: Where have you been?
5: Working. Let me get undressed. I'm exhausted. Why
2: didn't you call... Don't throw your good coat on the floor. John...
5: You can sweep it up in the morning. No
2: call. No message. No nothing. Why didn't you call?
5: Didn't have a nickel.
2: You did, too. You had a quarter in your pocket this morning. Who did you take to dinner tonight?
5: The whole chorus from Earl Carroll's. That's me, boy, Diamond Jim Bickerson.
2: Don't be so funny.
5: Oh, I'm not funny.
2: I'm exhausted. I bet you never even thought of calling me. Other men call their wives... If Mel Shaw leaves the house for even five minutes, he calls Louise.
5: Calls her what?
2: That's why you care about me. I've been sitting here worrying myself into a stew. What did you eat? Stew? John Vickerson. let me look at you. Are you sure you've been in the office till now?
5: Well, where do you think I've been?
2: I don't know. You didn't pass a cocktail bar on your way home, did you? I
5: never pass a cocktail bar.
2: That's what I thought. You had a drink.
5: I did not.
2: You had more than one.
5: I didn't have any.
2: Then why are you trying to take your pants off over your head? What pants?
5: This is the sweater you made for me out of your old slacks. I'm the only man in town with a v-neck seat. Stop
2: complaining. It keeps you warm.
5: Put out the lights, Blanche. I can't hold my eyes open.
2: John, you're not going to sleep in that horrible old sheepskin vest.
5: Well, I'm cold.
2: Take it off. It looks hideous.
5: Nobody sees it.
2: Now you just get up and put on some pajamas.
5: I hate pajamas. They strangle me.
2: Well, you can't wear that thing. Can too. What if there's a fire?
5: I won't go. Good night, Blanche.
2: You just get out of that bed and hang up your clothes. Don't leave them for me.
5: Blanche, I'm sleepy.
2: I'm always crawling under the dresser and picking up your collar buttons. I pick up your ties. and I pick up your handkerchiefs. What do you think I am? A vacuum cleaner?
5: No, Blanche. A vacuum cleaner can be turned off. Look, Blanche, do me a favor, will you? I worked 18 hours today. Just let me close my eyes for a couple of hours, will you?
2: I'm afraid the minute you fall asleep, you'll start snoring.
5: No, I won't snore. I never snore.
2: How can you say that? You've never missed a single night since the second day we were married. Mm. You snore on Monday, you snore on Tuesday, on Wednesday you snore, on Thursday you snore. So what'll you do tonight? Oh, for the love of... Nobody would believe it. I'm married to a cellar pump. John, John, you promised you wouldn't snore. And the minute you closed your eyes, you started. Mm-hmm. John! Lynch,
5: what do you want from me?
2: I won't stand for it. Go sleep in the guest room.
5: We haven't got a guest room.
2: If you were a good husband, you'd see that we had two guest rooms. <sighs> you used to have plenty of ambition before we were married. Whatever mm. happened to your get-up-and-go?
5: He got up and went.
2: I might have known you like you are. Selfish, inconsiderate, thoughtless, you didn't even send me a Valentine card.
5: St. Valentine's Day isn't until tomorrow. It's still tonight.
2: Tonight was yesterday. Today is tomorrow. What? And I know you didn't send a card because you didn't send me one last year.
5: Well, I forgot last year. You
2: always forget. You forgot my birthday. You. I bet you don't even know when you married me, do you?
5: No, I don't.
2: John Bickerson... You don't know when you married me?
5: When? Oh, I thought you said why.
2: I suppose we can be you a great catch. I could have married a half dozen of the wealthiest men in town. No, I had to fall for your smooth talk. You kept calling me your buried treasure, didn't you?
5: Didn't I what?
2: Didn't you always call me your buried treasure?
5: Maybe I did.
2: Well, what have you got to say now?
5: I'm sorry I dug you up. Good night, Blanche.
2: <laughs> sorry you dug me up? There wasn't another girl in our crowd who would ever have given you a second look.
5: Oh, I don't know about that. Most of those dames thought I had what it takes.
2: Well, maybe you had it. But who took it? And what did I get out of this marriage? Jewels? No. Clothes? No. Money? No. What did I get?
5: No. I'll tell
2: you what I got. A one-room apartment and a leaky icebox.
5: A leaky icebox.
2: Every night my pillow is wet from my tears.
5: Put a pan under it.
2: You're not listening to me. You don't care what happens. I wish I'd never been born.
5: Oh, Blanche, what's the matter with you? Why don't you go to sleep?
2: How can I sleep? How can I sleep when I know you don't love me?
5: Who said I don't love you?
2: Well, you never tell me you do.
5: I tell you a thousand times a day. I offered to pay a man $50 for a six-inch tattoo that says, John loves Blanche. Why did you object?
2: Because it would show when I wore my evening gown.
5: Well, I was going to let him do it on you, too. Anything to put a stop to that same question night after night after night.
2: If you'd only say it once of your own accord, I'd never ask you.
5: Okay. I love you.
2: Do you love me only? Yes. When I'm away from you? Yes. Well, say it.
5: I love you only when you're away from me. <laughs>
2: Maybe that's why you stayed out, cavorting, until 2 o'clock this morning.
5: I wasn't cavorting. I was working. What for? Because I get paid for overtime and we need the money. I have to make a payment on my car next week, $84.
2: (gasps) Where will you get that?
5: Oh, I got it. It's in the desk drawer.
2: No, it isn't. It is,
5: too. I looked yesterday.
2: You didn't look today.
5: Oh, Blanche.
2: There's only $60 in that drawer, John.
5: What happened to the other $24?
2: Don't look at me.
5: Listen, Blanche, there are only two people who have a key to that drawer, you and I. And $24 is missing.
2: Well, let's each put back $12 and say no more about it. I
5: knew it. I knew it. What did you blow it on?
2: I had to pay the phone bill. I made a few long-distance calls.
5: Long-distance calls? Who did you call for $24?
2: My sister, Clara. I was worried. She had a tooth pulled.
5: How could you squander my money like that? I deny myself everything. Do I even buy toothpaste? No. I've been brushing my teeth with a whisk broom. I stick tinfoil in my cavities to save on dentist bills. I've been wearing an upper plate that belongs to my cousin. She calls New York every five minutes.
2: Don't make such a fuss. Claire is my only sister, and I have a perfect right to call her. Anyway, Barney's in the hospital. Who's Barney? Clara's husband, when he was out looking for a job, he tripped over a bar rail and two cases of bourbon fell on his head.
5: Well, it's the first time the drinks were ever on him.
2: How can you say that? Barney's not cheap. He takes good care of Clara. She has a lovely home, and they've got money for everything.
5: Oh, sure. Money for everything.
2: Don't sneer. Last week, Clara had her tonsils taken out, and Venetian blinds put in.
5: With a mouth like hers, they could do it. (laughs) If that bomb Barney isn't working, where do they get the dough?
2: Accident insurance. He's collected a fortune on accident insurance. Every time Clara has a baby, he jumps off the roof. What? He doesn't hurt himself too bad. Just enough to collect the insurance. You haven't got any, have you, John?
5: No. I don't want to talk about it. I want to sleep.
2: But suppose something happens to you. What if you have an accident and you can't work?
5: We'll starve.
2: We're starving now.
5: That's too bad.
2: It's easy for you to talk like that. If anything happened, I'd be left helpless and destitute. Why don't you get some accident insurance, John?
5: I'll get some next week.
2: You say it, but you won't do it. Why don't you get it now? What? Go on. Get up. Get some accident insurance.
5: Blanche, are you out of your mind? It's almost three o'clock in the morning.
2: Well, people have accidents all hours of the night.
5: I'm not going to have any accidents tonight.
2: How do you know?
5: Blanche, why don't you let me sleep?
2: Well, just promise me you'll get some accident insurance. Why? Because it's a wonderful protection. Clara told me two weeks ago a man broke his hip and he got $5,000. Last week, Barney fractured his skull and got $10,000.
5: Well, what about it?
2: Next week, you may be the lucky one.
5: Good night, Orange.
2: Good night, John.
5: Tom
2: Sumner, Program.com. Tom Sumner Program.com
1: From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh,
0: yeah. Hi, I'm Alexander Zonjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.